So it was funny. I, I miscounted uh, how many movies I had seen yep. that I was going to put on the top 10. Mm-hmm. And I ended up with 11. Perfect. And I was like, ah, well, I guess I'm just going to cheat and make 11 and Zach will have to deal with it. And then I went and looked at your top 10 movies. And, and I had 11. 11. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just just laying out real early what, what kind of podcast we're going to be. Yeah, um, a cheating one. where Zach, my co-host, and I, Chris, talk about pretty much anything that's piquing our interests at the time. Usually it's burritos. Other times it's less important things. Mostly burritos. <laughs> um, now we're talking kind of about the movies that we saw in 2017 that really hit the spot. Uh, and we're going to weave that into some Oscars talk. I'm, I'm not a big Oscars guy, but it kind of goes with the conversation. It's it's a good motivator to see some movies that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't see as many of the Best Picture uh, nominees as you. I think you saw all of them, didn't you? Uh, I have not seen The Shape of Water. That's Oh, yeah, that's, that's the one that you didn't see. I didn't see that one either. So, spoiler alert, that's going to be left off both of our lists. So so how do you want to deal with spoilers on this? Do you want to do you want to be full spoilers, half spoilers? What are we looking at? Uh I was looking at like minor plot point spoilers but no like full spoilers cuz there are movies that I've seen that you haven't seen and movies gotcha. that you've seen that I haven't Perfect. seen so probably good not to spoil them for each other. And I think uh, maybe the point of this would be to uh incite people to go see these movies uh based on our descriptions and exactly all right so let's let's start off by counting down also i should probably introduce myself i'm zach i'm the other co-host <laughs> we, we've been friends since what uh what seventh grade I'll say, something like that yeah probably we used to play we've known, we've known each other since little league so probably 12 years old but we've been friends since uh yeah probably middle school our, our dads used to coach little league together it was it was great. We were were you on the Yankees? No, I was a I was a Giant. We were quite good. Ah, uh, yeah. We had a we had a big little league rival, and it was uh yeah. We've been friends since then. Yeah. So we just we talk about a lot of random stuff. So we figured we might as well record it because that's what everyone's doing nowadays. Yeah. I mean, there are hardly any podcasts where there are two white guys just talking about movies, music, and TV. So. Figured we'd probably fill that void. Yeah, and, and sports. We touch on sports as well. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, anything that piques our interest at the time. We touch on and add critical value to all of these things, so. Yeah, and our friends haven't heard enough of this bullshit, so. <laughs> exactly. We'll expose it to other people as well. <laughs> I, I feel like this really got started because we do the nerdiest thing and make very elaborate fantasy football rankings for our fantasy football group. And that even our fantasy football league doesn't appreciate. <laughs> oh, God, no. 
No, they do a little bit. But every once in a while, it'll get picked up by, like, one random person who stumbles across our WordPress page, <laughs> which is by far the best part. And and we'll get, like, a singular comment. My favorite was when uh, Tim Tebow at Yahoo.com, somebody who had that email address. <laughs> Total, totally a real person. Had been reading our rankings. And when we didn't post them one week, we got a comment that was, where are the rankings this week? <laughs> Someone totally not a part of this in any way is very devoted to the stupid things that we do. It's perfect. <laughs> All right. So maybe we should get started. I uh, I think you should start first. Yeah, let's count down from since we're assholes and we have our top 11 movies of 2017. Uh, let's start with you, Zach. Yeah, so we're going to cheat a lot on these podcasts. We're going to make a, a few lists, and we're probably going to add too many, so just get used to that. Um, yep. For me, number 11 was uh, a movie that I found fine. It was totally a decent movie that I didn't hate, that when I left, I was like, okay, that was not bad. It was The Post. Have you seen that yet? I did not see the post. I have bought two tickets to the post and both times have seen other movies. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, that's probably more worthwhile. It was incredibly average. I, I thought Meryl Streep was very good in it. I thought Tom Hanks was okay. He's playing um, the editor of the Washington Post, who's supposed to be this asshole newspaper editor. And Tom Hanks can't really be an asshole well. He's so nice. He's so nice. He's like the nicest person ever. And so, I mean, there were some really cool shots where they did montages of the actual printing of the newspaper, where it's the mechanical process of setting up the text and and You the mean there's a newspaper going... movie with montages in it? Yeah, it, weird, right? <laughs> how many uh, how many spinning newspapers were there? Uh, none. There were no okay. spinning newspapers, but it was that's, the that's actual one of my. Favorite old timey movie devices to forward to go forward in time. So they it's, have yeah, newspapers show up on the screen. Yeah, not quite to that level, but it was the you know, you know the physical process of creating a newspaper from scratch, where they're you know casting the the letters, putting them in order. Um, it was very cool. That was my favorite part of the movie, and it was the least pr- critical to the plot. You know. Okay. It, you can you can feel that Spielberg's getting a little old. There were some moments that I kind of rolled my eyes. Uh, I I can't really spoil this movie because it it happened and it's a historical <laughs> oh. fact. So <laughs> when after the Times gets taken to court and Meryl Streep is uh, coming out of the New York City courthouse, they're walking down the steps and there's this like heavenly glow that casts upon Meryl Streep and she walks through a crowd of suspiciously only young women and it's you know a very Hollywooded up moment of just all right we get it she's a role model you don't need to pour this on I was just under the impression that that's how Meryl Streep is at all times fair that is a good counterpoint (laughs) (laughs) um the B characters are great Jesse Plemons and um the weird, awkward guy from Silicon Valley, the tall one with the oh, Zach Woods. Zach Woods are great in it. They're two lawyers. Bob Odenkirk and David Cross are reporters. They're the best part of the movie in my mind. They reunited. So um, that's my number 11. Go see it. 
It's fine. My my ask would be, what was the impetus for having eleven on your list, and like, was there a big gap between the post and the number twelve movie you saw this year? I mean, the number twelve movie I saw this year was The Boss Baby. So yes, <laughs> okay, yes. So there, that's there the is same, a significant difference. That is the same reason I included on my list the Disaster Artist at number eleven. I. I think I texted you after this. I I cried at the end of The Disaster Artist, and I'm not entirely sure why. <laughs> <laughs> so I would suggest anybody go see this movie. This, this too, actually happened, so it's hard to spoil it. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts, uh, How Did This Get Made, hosted by Paul Shear and Jason Manzukis and June Diane Raphael. They do... Uh, they look at bad movies, and they did a really in-depth episode on the movie The Room, upon which this movie, The Disaster Artist, is based. And it's just such it's an so interesting bad. story. The like, yeah, the, the whole story behind it is just so interesting. And I read the book, The Disaster Artist, who was written. It was written by uh, the co-star of The Room, Greg Zestero. He was basically the casting director too. He had to. He had to do all these jobs, and he basically had to rein in Tommy Wiseau, the guy who mysteriously had six million of his own dollars to pour into this movie. He is the and, weirdest human. Yeah, he, he and he's like the funny thing is like the whole movie he's trying to act young, and he's clearly in like his forties, but now he still looks exactly the same, and it's kind of he's kind of like an alien. Yeah, he's a uh, surprisingly jacked too. That's. You know, yeah. one of the, the lesser parts of the movie. Because there's, so, what, four sex scenes in that movie that go yeah, on for they're, so They're all long. like four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and all with, you know, B-list porn soundtracks in the background. And B-roll. Like, they use the same shots for some of the sex scenes. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's it's so bad. But anyway, this is not about the room. This is about the disaster artist. This is about the disaster artist, which... It could have been treated as such a joke, as like making fun of the movie itself, but that's not what it is. It's a an earnest look at these two people who had a dream to make a movie and then went and made it. And against all odds, it became a success, even if it wasn't through the avenue that they were trying to be successful. So uh, I would recommend both reading the book and seeing the movie The Disaster Artist. I would also highly recommend seeing The Room one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. <laughs> it's, it's an experience. I've, uh, so I'm actually planning on going to see the midnight showing out here in San Diego, uh, February 10th. So if anyone is out here in San Diego listening, uh, meet me there. So the thing I would suggest though, I think, I think you can see the disaster artist in the room in any order. So if you haven't seen the room, you can see the disaster artist and it'll probably intrigue you enough to go see the room. Uh, you can see it the other way around. I would recommend reading the book after seeing the movie because the movie, it Hollywoods up some of the events and it it definitely takes some shortcuts in the storytelling because, of course, you can't tell this whole story in a yeah. two-hour movie. I think one of the, the things that, uh, themes that's going to come through this is that I have a problem with Hollywooding up a lot of these movies. My favorite movies of the year are the ones that lean away from that trend and the ones I liked a little less are the ones that couldn't help themselves, you know? <laughs> yeah, you would hate my honorable mentions. So, yeah, the I think my number 12 would have been Logan, uh, the 
X-Men movie and the gap between the disaster artist and Logan is fairly vast. And that's why I included the disaster artist at 11. Yeah. I, so I'll, I'll put this out here now. I am not a big comic book movie person. Oh no. No, I, I just thought we'd get this out here for the listeners. I am just kind of out. There's nothing, you know, I don't find them awful. I just am not interested in trying to see 40 movies a year about the same basic thing. Yeah, a little spoiler here for my list. I don't have any comic book movies on there, but uh, like three three of my honorable mentions are comic book movies. I did really enjoy Spider-Man Homecoming and even Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I thought that was a fun romp. Fun uh, romp. Wonder Woman was important, but I think it uh, benefited from a couple of things, such as being the only DC movie since the Christopher Nolan Batman's Not to Suck and being an important <laughs> <laughs> being an important uh female superhero movie yes yeah i have not seen any of those so i will keep my uh opinions to myself on them <laughs> there you go well let's move on to your number 10 my number 10 um which i saw uh, on thursday night was darkest hour um the winston churchill movie I can very easily see why Gary Oldman is getting such praise for his performance. He nailed the physicality of it. He walks with the, you know, the kind of Churchill lean and hunch. He, you know, his face and his lips are very emotive and kind of that awkward outward jut that he had a little bit. Um, He nails all of that. And he, you know, his accent is pretty perfect. And it, it, you know, it begs for scene-chewing monologues, you know, it's that's what Churchill is. He just was a great orator, and therefore, you know, it lends itself to those Oscar moments where he's in Parliament with everyone waving their papers and support, giving out this, you know, historically critical speech about Dunkirk and getting the boys home, and it just screams Oscar bait, but it it's a well-done scene. So I can very clearly see why he's getting it. I have a, I think later in the show, we're going to be going through our choices based off the nominees for the Oscars. Um, he's not my choice, but he would be a worthy winner in my mind. Um, the one part of the movie I kind of have a, uh, an issue with is they Hollywood up um, a scene where Churchill goes and goes out with the common folk and has this, you know, earnest, earnest talk with the people of London. And Churchill definitely did not do this. He he was not a man who just went and spoke with the people. And I, you know, through that whole scene, which lasts way too long, <laughs> I was just rolling my eyes and, and found it kind of unbelievable. It it had already set up his decision well enough that this scene need not be needed. So it was a good movie. Uh, It was the second best Dunkirk film I saw this year. (laughs) All right. Yeah. I didn't see the darkest hour. I, uh, it was never really on my radar as something I wanted to see. I'm not super into Winston Churchill or Gary Oldman in makeup. All right. What's your, what's your number 10? My number 10 is the last Jedi. You're going to talk about this in a little bit. I, uh, I thought it was a really good job by Ryan Johnson of successfully navigating blockbuster film with creating his own vision and not propping it up on 
past films. I think we both liked The Force Awakens. Yes. It was a it was just a good setup movie that really borrowed from the original Star Wars. Yeah, the fact that they had Star Killer base, you know, <laughs> in and of itself. And yeah. and very heavy Nazi imagery. <laughs> oh yeah, Donald Gleason in his full Hitler was, you know, <laughs> a, a little strong. Um, yeah, so I, I very much appreciated The Force Awakens for creating characters in Rey and Finn and Poe and Kylo that you cared about and were complex and confusing. It didn't do anything original plot-wise, but I, I'm glad I cared about new characters in the Star Wars universe. I thought they did that very well. Star Wars has always been very black and white, dark side, light side, and these two new installments in, and including uh rogue one the three new installments have added shades of gray to it um not all the good guys are always good guys not all the bad guys are always bad guys and uh we care about kylo ren for some reason even though he spoiler alert in force awakens killed one of my favorite characters in the star Wars i think one of everyone's favorite characters yeah i mean <laughs> i didn't want to make a blanket statement there but but I, I really liked The Last Jedi. It had its problems, uh, mm-hmm. obviously. It was too long. It was two and a half hours. It was too it, long. It was a little bit too long, and there were some unnecessarily unnecessary plot devices. But the like the main reason it's in the top ten for me is Laura Dern is my queen and my president, and <laughs> uh, put her in purple hair, and that's all I've ever wanted. Are Are you Baron Davis? <laughs> I mean, aesthetically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's strikingly similar. Um, I thought so. I think that J.J. Abrams is very good at creating new ideas. Uh, he is not very good at following through with that. If Lost is any example, and I think he set up just a few too many mystery boxes for Ryan Johnson to answer. And I like that the way that Ryan Johnson handled a few of those key questions. It, they were very divisive among the, you know, Star Wars uh, <laughs> hardcore fans. You're trying really hard not to say nerds. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> so even even in my own apartment, one of my roommates, and I quote, thought it was the worst movie ever made, which I... Yeah, that's, you know, that's a little extreme. <laughs> I think it's a little extreme. Um, I thought it was a very good movie. Um, I have it slightly higher. I think I have it at number eight. So it's not a total difference um and it had some of the best visual moments in any star wars yes uh and audio moments or lack thereof yes Uh, just a yeah just a very well done film like it it was crafted well i like the storytelling is a little bit clunky at times but for the most part like visually stunning and captivating enough where the two and a half hours didn't seem super long it just kind of like you get to a point where you're like, "Huh, this movie is long." Yeah. It's never never boring. It's just like, "Huh, that's weird." <laughs> yeah. So, I enjoyed it. I'm excited. I don't get the full freak out about it. I can understand people having issues with it, but the fact that people are writing petitions to get it stricken from <laughs> the canon seems a little seems a little extreme. So, Yeah. Uh, let's hear about your number 9 movie of the year. So, my number 9 was The Big Sick. Um, I watched it recently, uh, and I think the best word I can describe it is, is wholesome. It's a classic kind of boy meets girl. They have some issues. They get resolved. 
but it treats it in a very delicate way that I think works well. And the issues are non-typical. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's based off of real events with Kamel and Emily, the couple that it's based on, because they wrote the film, it's about their lives, and it's it's funny and awkward and earnest and and just a very well-made movie. Uh, it has some great, specifically funny moments, um, and it never feels like anything is unearned, which is a problem with a lot of those romantic comedies. Including the best 9-11 joke I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, God, it's set up so perfectly. Um, <laughs> we, we won't spoil it on here, but go see the movie and be ready for that. Yeah, it's on it's on Amazon. You can If you have a Prime subscription, you can watch it right now. That's how I did it. It's my number eight movie of the year. I went and saw it with Capil's family, which was a lot of fun. Uh, yes. Capil and I were going to go see... We were going to see two movies in one day, and we were going to go from that to Spider-Man Homecoming, but we missed Spider-Man Homecoming and ended up seeing the third installment of the uh, Planet of the Apes movies. How was and that? I had not seen the first two and Kapil did not know that I had not seen the first two, and <laughs> was just kind of whispering plot points to me the whole time for the first half of the movie, and eventually we just walked out and got a glass of whiskey at the monkey bar. <laughs> that, ah, oh, fitting, fitting. <laughs> um, as far as The Big Sick goes, I loved it. It's my number eight movie of the year. Um, it It's just so, it's funny and heartfelt, and the acting is very good, especially for a couple of people who are not necessarily known for their acting prowess in Kumail Nanjiani, who uh, is in Silicon Valley. So he has acting experience, but he's not primarily known as an actor. He's primarily a comedian. Yes. The uh, Ray Romano and I forget the name of the, the mom in the Holly movie. Hunter. Holly they're, Hunter are they're phenomenal. incredible. I'm actually shocked that Holly Hunter didn't get nominated for... Uh, best supporting actress. So I think the one of the best parts about this movie is they kept the Judd Apatow one-liners to actual comedians in the show in the movie. Yeah, you know he, he kind of has an issue where everyone's a little too funny in <laughs> in a lot of his movies, and by making them actual comedians, makes sense. that's not a problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's my what my number nine and your number eight. My number nine, uh, probably you're going to have an issue with this being so low, is The Florida Project. Yes. So after after letting it sit for a little while, so my problem with it was I couldn't justify putting it over some of the movies I had ahead of it. It wasn't that it wasn't good. Uh, so th- things I liked about it, the direction was really good. Um, well, let's let's not, give everyone a little basis on what this movie so is. I went I went into it not knowing anything about it. Same, uh, same. I went in completely I, cold. Um, do you want to set it up since you're a little more bullish on it? Sure. So it's a look at the lives of people living in these thirty five dollar a night um, hotels down in Celebration, Florida, which is right near Disney. Um, and it's these low-income families with a, a focus on the kids um, and just kind of how their lives are and how tough it is to live in that with these people that are very imperfect and that are nuisances in some way and, and fuck-ups in other ways. 
Um, and the only actor that I knew in this was Willem Dafoe, who plays the manager of the hotel. And he's a complicated character in and of himself. Um, and it focuses on uh, a little girl who's uh, just incredible in this movie. Yeah, that is some of the best child acting I've ever seen. Yes. Any more setup? Or should I dive in? Dive in. All right. So here's what I really liked about the film. Uh, not familiar with this director. Um, yeah. But a lot of still frame shots with people walking through the frame uh, mm-hmm. gives a really interesting perspective. Um, some good shots that put you in the perspective of the children in the film. So a lot of low shots when they're around adults giving you the perspective of not being very significant and kind of trying to weave your way through a world made for adults. So obviously it's in near Disney. So there's a lot of uh, fireworks and a lot of really cool panoramic shots of the landscape behind characters and from the point of view of characters. And then there's the really unique scene at the end that I also don't want to spoil because it's kind of just it's very divisive okay I I didn't have a problem with it that's not my problem with the movie my yeah. my main my main problems are with the acting and which is weird because it has some of the best acting from one of the most problematic spots in most movies yeah um, all, all of the children are terrific um but fantastic the, but the girl who plays mooney is unbelievable um when you get child actors you get for the most part you get either those really highly trained kids who are too good where it just comes mm-hmm. off as like wooden and rehearsed or you get the kids that just aren't good at all but these kids really nail like being real yes yeah there's a lot of sense of exploration from the children, you know, they're cooped up in these crappy little apartments and they just run around and annoy people and buy ice cream. And it, it, it shows the life of a low income kid very well and just how tough it is, yeah. but in the same way, how hard some of their parents are trying. So, you know, back, back to positives before I get to the negatives. Um, one thing I really did like is it it really investigates every character from their point of view. And it's hard to like, there's no one specifically that you're rooting for or against, except for the pedophile dude. Yeah. Um, Rooting against him, which is one of the best moments of the film. It it really um, shows Willem Dafoe's character and and how he does care for these people. And he is, Oh yeah. It, it spends a lot of like, the movie spends a lot of time developing Bobby as this guy who he's he's ne- he's necessarily kind of a mean guy because he yeah. needs to keep organization and it but it shows us from his point of view where like he needs I love the scene in the where the inspector's coming by and he's like all right you're gonna need to tell everybody to take these bikes down because that's a violation yeah and. It, it never really materializes into anything where no one's going to come. No one comes back and complains about it, but it's just one of those things where like, you know, people are going to complain about that. Cause he says, you mean they have to store the bikes all the way back there? And he goes, yep. Yeah. <laughs> but you understand yeah. it's a fire hazard. You need people to be able to run down. Moves. Those. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, 
I really love Bobby as a character. It's uh, he cares for all of his tenants, and he even helps uh, Haley move out when on the day that she has to move out to prevent whatever the legal ramifications of permanent residency. Um, so, but my <laughs> my biggest problems with this were the acting of some of the adults. I don't know much about where a lot of them came from acting wise, but some of it seems really manufactured. So Haley does a really good job. The actress who played Haley does a really good job when she's being a mother. Like that comes off as genuine, but when she's trying to manufacture these moments of drama or, like when they go out on the town and they're talking to friends, that seems really, it doesn't seem genuine. Um, I, so I have none of these issues. With yeah, the we'll, we'll, we'll start that. Yeah. And the, the you're going to hate this, but the other problem I have is I can't get over Willem Dafoe's Florida accent. Like I just hear him with a <laughs> like, Brooklynite accent and I'm just like, oh, <laughs> Yeah, so no, none of that is an issue for me. So I, I have this as my second favorite movie of the year. Uh, I absolutely love this movie. It's it's one of the best just character movies I've seen in a long time. And it, it spends care developing. And you, you're not sure if you're rooting for Haley or rooting against her. She clearly cares for her child, but is also a shitty mom, you know, and she rarely ever says thank you to anybody offering her help. Some pretty, expects all the help, like e- extreme help, like Bobby, for example. I don't think she ever says thank you. No. Um, but you're, I, I still found myself rooting for her because she obviously cares about Mooney a lot, and she's a good person and mom deep down. Yes, and like Mooney uh-huh. clearly cares for her too. Yeah, I, I honestly think Mooney should have gotten some sort of recognition. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's hard with child actors because I know you don't know what the level of preparation, level of difficulty of these roles is. Like, I was never a child actor. I have no idea how I was. Like, compared God, to, that'd be great if you were. Compared okay. to, say, Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> like, yes. Who, what kind of preparation goes into that? But, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean... You just make a lot of dresses. I, I'm... <laughs> I'm also not 100% sure on the ethics of, like, awarding children at an award ceremony and True. creating competition there. But, uh, yes, yeah, having having a category for child actors would be a little bit weird. But um, Yeah, I, I think some other award shows do. But regardless. The um, Teen Choice Awards? <laughs> not those. I do not watch those. <laughs> I'm, I want to put it on record that I do not watch the Teen Choice Awards. I'm still um, under the assumption that Nick Cannon hosts those every year. Oh, he he hosts everything, so it makes sense. <laughs> um, but yeah, so to sum up my feelings, I think it's one of the best slice-of-life movies that I've seen in a long time that gives care and focus to those who are ignored, and it, it sets it in this backdrop where people come to vacation, they come to have a good time, and you know, it's supposed to be the happiest place on Earth, but there are these people that live there that are not as fortunate and it it shows it so well. I I I love this movie. Yeah, I mean I so I think I was also jaded by the experience surrounding this movie that I had. Um yeah. because I don't live in New York City, I can't just go see any movie anywhere I want. I had to see this at a very specific time on a very specific date 
and it involved going all the way out to La Jolla, which is not a problem getting there, but getting back was such a hardship. It took, it takes like 25 minutes to drive out there. Uh, but the theater is like hidden in a mall complex. So I, I, I do like that you're complaining about this when it's about the lives of people who can't afford $35 a night. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, ir- the irony there is not lost on me. <laughs> yeah, all right. I could talk about this movie forever, but let's keep it going. Yeah, Um. so my uh, your number eight is The Last Jedi, so we can skip that. My yep. number eight is The Big Six, so we can skip that. Let's get to your number seven, which is Get Out. Yes. So this is another one where I feel bad having it so low, but that's only because I enjoyed the movies above it so much. Um, I went into this movie thinking it would be more of a horror movie than um, what it actually turned out to be. Uh, And I thought that for Jordan Peele's directorial debut, it was amazing. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya is so good. He has the kind of deadpan dealing with the bullshit face down perfectly. <laughs> um, I thought he was phenomenal in this. You know, the the twists are, they make sense and they're so, you know, they're so perfectly paced for the movie and you just get that sense of uncomfortableness during the whole thing that uh, I think sets up for the ending incredibly well. Yeah, I had this movie at number three, so... Clearly, I enjoyed it as well. I I echo all your points on that. It's uh, the pacing is a good point there, and just how everything is perfectly plotted, but also everything's set up very well for rewatches too, where you can pick up things uh, upon. Yes. There are a lot of little Easter eggs. It's just it's a beautiful. I think Jordan Peele was really trying to nod to a lot of his favorite films at the same time and but also not try Mm -hmm. to use any tropes from horror films or psychological thrillers and i think it's kind (laughs) i think it's kind of appropriate that this was uh it was put in the golden globes like comedy musical category because Uh, (laughs) no one really (laughs) knows what to think of it it's it, it is at times really funny it's at times really uncomfortable and yes, it's at most times thrilling and engaging. I I think after that happened, Jordan Peele tweeted out something like get out as a documentary, <laughs> which, you know, which... It's, it's great. It's, it's one of the few times that when you see at the ending, when you, or I don't know if I want to spoil anything, but yeah, don't, don't spoil it for people who haven't seen it, but uh... yeah, there's just a, a sense of, you know, dread throughout the movie that, you know, you know something bad's going to happen, but you don't exactly know what. And the reveals in it are, are, I said this before, but they're earned, you know? Yeah. It's, it's very well done. I think Allison Williams plays creepy really well. Yes. You know, just <laughs> small touches where she's eating cereal and then takes a sip of milk I have loved Daniel Kaluuya ever since I saw him in 15 Million Merits, the Black Mirror episode. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just phenomenal in that. And he was perfect for this role. Yes. Um, No no complaints about him. No complaints about any of the acting. The comic relief, was it brother or friend? The TSA agent? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was a friend. 
Ron. Friend. Gotcha. Ron. <laughs> yeah. He, he added some much needed comic relief. And uh, yeah, I, I don't really have a complaint about this movie. It's just lower on my list because I thoroughly enjoyed the movies above it more. Yeah, it's uh, I think 2017 was a really good year for film. So it's just hard to hard to knock anything after this. Of very different kinds as well. Yeah. We, we got a lot of different movies that succeeded in what they were trying to do, which is great. And I'm glad that the Oscars, at least, are rewarding this by giving it a Best Picture nomination because it was deserving. I am a fan of this getting the recognition it deserves. Um, so what is your number seven? My number seven is Ingrid Goes West. And you actually haven't seen this one, so this is a I have another one that you haven't seen. Uh, I watched this yesterday. Um, Aubrey Plaza. So I, I love Aubrey Plaza in Parks and Rec, but I always found her as pretty one note. She plays deadpan very well, and that's kind of whenever she shows emotion, it's kind of like ah, oh, she has emotions, and that's the joke. Yeah, this m- movie, she is incredible. Uh, she plays. A mentally unstable woman who crashes her, a person who she thinks is her friend's wedding, uh, but it turns out just to be somebody that she kind of vaguely knew on Instagram. And (laughs) the rest of the movie is about her moving to California with money from her inheritance from her mother who just passed away uh, and tracking down this woman that she like her new Instagram crush woman and trying to become her best friend. And it's, it's hilarious. It's haunting. It kind of plays like some black mirror episodes. Like it's a little mm-hmm. bit of a uh, nosedive. Yeah. It's at times hilarious and at times just heartbreaking. And it's, you watch this woman try so hard to be liked while she takes advantage of the people that really care about her and she, her actions have negative consequences, but she doesn't treat them that way. And it's just, it's Aubrey Plaza is so good. O'Shea Jackson plays her landlord slash neighbor who is obsessed with Batman. And he, <laughs> he plays that perfectly. Um, it's, uh, Elizabeth Olsen's great as the Instagram photographer who Aubrey Plaza tries to befriend. Um, yeah, this is this is on my list of movies I want to see. I just haven't gotten to it yet. So I think critically it got it got mixed reviews, but it's one of those ones where I'm just like, what are you guys thinking? This is incredible. Gotcha. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely something I I need to see. Uh, How did you watch it? Uh, it was on Amazon Prime. I paid five dollars for it. Whoa, spending money. All right, my my number six movie is, um, I alluded to this earlier, uh, it is my favorite Dunkirk movie of the year, and it is Dunkirk. Wow. <laughs> Got me with that one. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> uh, I saw this in 70mm at the Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn, and it was it, it was an anxious movie. It did so well to make you feel like you were a part of the action. You know, 
you didn't get more information about the people on the beach other than that they were young men on the beach trying to live. Um, and I'm glad it didn't add any unnecessary, you know, he's trying to go home because his mother's ill or, you know, it, it added no extra unnecessary pretense to the, to the characters. And I thought that was a really good directorial decision. Um, I was a little wary about the three timelines and how they work out, but I think Nolan did it pretty well. Um, it was a, it was a little confusing at first, but it, yes, it, you catch on pretty quickly. Yeah, it was, yeah, exactly. Like you said, a little confusing at first, but um, made sense by the end of it. I also think that the choice not to have a bloody movie worked out really well. You didn't need, you know, the gore to show how terrified those people were. Yeah, the a lot of war movies go the extra mile to show the horrors of war. And I think uh, Killian Murphy's character is all you need to know about yes. the horrors of war in this movie. Yeah, it, it's great. Mark Rylance can wear a mean sweater. <laughs> um, it was a quick movie. It didn't need to be any longer than it was, and it it, it kind it of wasn't. It wasn't short, but it never seemed excessive. Yeah the the soundtrack was, you know, it it incorporated the ticking clock throughout the whole thing, and you yeah. know, it it showed how quickly this needed to happen um, in order for them to survive, and um, I think it played really well on seventy millimeter. You know, it was visually stunning. You know, the blue palette, I thought, worked well. You know, the opening shot where the letters are raining down um, onto the onto the streets just looked incredible. The, the surround sound of the planes coming from behind and you not knowing really where the danger is coming from added so much to the experience. So you saw this in 70mm. I saw this as Christopher Nolan intended on a 9-inch screen on the back of a, an airplane seat. <laughs> and, for some so reason I have it, and for some reason I still have it ranked one higher than you. Uh, I think overall you probably... I think our enjoyment of the movie was probably pretty similar. So like one ranking difference doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, It's um, splitting hairs at yeah, this point. It, I, I really loved... Not necessarily that there were three, like the way that the three timelines worked. I think that there were three different perspectives. Uh, it really helped my enjoyment of the movie and it really helped the pacing. Um, yes. Once once again, Tom Hardy acting behind a mask still pulls it off. Yeah. I, I thought his part was, I I thought the, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to find nits to pick, but, you know, they're tiny, tiny ones. Yeah, the... The way his timeline ends is a little uh, Hollywooded up for me, maybe, I guess. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's probably my only issue with it. But yeah, hey, really well done film. If like even if you don't like war films, I feel like this is one of those ones that just give it a go. Yeah, I have a I have a friend who refuses to see this, not because she doesn't like war movies, but she doesn't want to be anxious for 90 minutes. Uh, yeah, and that I might thought... be an issue. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I thought that's a that's a fair that's there, a fair issue to have. All right, what's your what's your number six? My number six is Phantom Thread. Also saw this yesterday. When you go see a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, you kind of know what you're going to get. You're going to get unbelievably visually stunning films, perfectly directed with this soundtrack. I I know that you mentioned this before. I saw it was one of the highlights yeah. of this film. Yes. Scored by Johnny Greenwood. 
um, of Radiohead fame. Yeah, it's just, it's really well done. Um, my, you're gonna have some disagreements with me on this. My biggest problem with it was a little bit of the pacing. I loved mm-hmm. the first and final acts, and I think the transition to the second act from the first act and to the final act from the second act were a little bit clunky. Um, yeah. So there were two periods of time where I was just kind of sitting there like, I don't know where this movie's going and not in a good mm-hmm. way. Like I, I felt like I had been left out to dry on whether or not I care about any of the characters in the movie. Gotcha. <laughs> we should actually set this up a little bit. So uh, you can talk about the the plot a little bit. Sure. I mean, it's a pretty simple plot. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis plays a uh, dressmaker in 1950s Britain named Reynolds Woodcock. Which is hilarious. Which is a great name. Uh, and he's this kind of eccentric man who goes through women pretty quickly because he's so involved and obsessed with his work that he can't give himself to a, a woman fully. And... He's very particular. He needs his silence in the morning so he can think. And he's just kind of this neurotic but incredibly talented man. And he meets this woman, Alma, who is a waitress at a restaurant. And it kind of goes through the story of their relationship and their love and and how they need each other but not in the way they think they do throughout a lot of it. Um, And then the sister, who I'm blanking on the name – uh, Cyril. Cyril is kind of his muse and his right-hand woman um, and is, you know, a, a partner in the dressmaking business as well. Yeah. So Leslie Manville played Cyril and uh, she's going to come up for me later. Uh, I think that part was played phenomenally. I, that was the only character that I cared about the entire way through the movie. <laughs> um <laughs> which I think says a lot about the acting because the, a lot of the character is not written. Yeah. Uh, so I think one of my favorite things about PTA's directing is he lets things linger. So yes. a very like the graduate, like the ending of the graduate kind of linger, like he'll, he'll place a shot on the like very close up on the face of a character for a moment of joy and then let it linger until it turns into kind of a stale you get like the full emotions of a moment and it just you really it he lets it simmer it's awesome yes yes i so i that affects another one of the movies later on my list um uh, yeah i'll say paul thomas anderson does these very long shots or or not long shots, but very long scenes um, that he actually lets develop. And while people would cut in and out in other directors, he lets the scene develop and, and grow. And you feel uncomfortable for a lot of the movie. Um, the movie is also way funnier than I thought it would be. It It is legitimately funny at points. So I didn't laugh all that much. You set that up for me. I didn't find it very funny. And so one of my issues with it, which I brought up to you, is Daniel Day-Lewis obviously plays this part of Reynolds Woodcock very well, but part of me feels like I already saw this part played by Ray Fiennes in Grand Budapest Hotel as uh, Monsieur Gustave, and to better effect in terms of whimsy. Like, there is whimsy in the writing of this part, 
but I don't see it on the screen. So I'm 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 going to disagree just in the fact that I don't think this character deserves whimsy. He's supposed to be meticulous and talented, but not really whimsical. You know, he's he's kind of a, you know, the uh, Cyril does a good job of explaining my brother can feel cursed by love. You know, he he's not a man who is whimsical in nature, I think. I I understand that and how it was how it was acted and how it's supposed to be portrayed, but I don't see funny. I I just thought, you know, a lot of the interactions had some humor in them. You know, when he's cursing people out and and stuff like that, he's a it 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 got funny. You know, our our theater laughed a, a decent amount of time. You know, just because it was you know pretty awkwardly funny. Yeah. Um, I guess I I guess I missed that. Yeah, so that that is your number six, yes, correct, and that is my number five. Okay, so not not terribly different. Um, yeah, Johnny Greenwood. The soundtrack is just incredible. I I absolutely love it. So my number five is Dunkirk. We can skip over that and go straight to your number four. So my number four movie is Call Me by Your Name. Um, you haven't seen this one yet. It is it is set in. 1983 Italy in the summer. Um, it uh, stars Army Hammer and Timothy Chalmay. Timothy Chalmay is a 17-year-old son of a professor, and Army Hammer is a grad student who is working for the professor. And it is a story of young love and discovery. And it is, again, such a passionate film. Um, it takes a lot of care to develop the characters and to show the uneasiness and the awkwardness of discovering love and discovering lust and discovering desire and discovering conflict. And, you know, Army Hammer kind of plays the confident, smart, attractive college student for those who don't know, Army Hammer played uh, the Wigglevoss twins in the social network. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, he he has that look. And then Timothy Chalamet is this awkward seventeen-year-old, you know, who who is young and just interesting. And and they just spend so much care crafting the characters into people that that you care about. And it's a story of a romance that um, is incredibly well told. And it features some music by Sufjan Stevens, which, you know, is never a bad thing. Yeah, that'll that'll get you on board. <laughs> yes, it'll get me on board immediately. Um, and I just think it's a it's an incredibly well done love story. Uh, the, the one thing I'll say is there is a scene in the movie with some Sufjan music that is just so emotionally impactful. It just makes you think and feel and care. And uh, I love the movie. It's it's fantastic. Um, I definitely recommend you see it. What is your number four movie? My number four movie is Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. I hope I got the end of that title right because I don't have it written down. Yep. <laughs> and so there are some problematic things about this movie. And it's been criticized for not having not representing black characters well or not having any significant black characters and it it yeah it's the undeserved redemption arc um for Sam Rockwell's character which is yeah. kind of fire which yeah 
I fully understand those criticisms. Um, so hard to praise a movie like that or defend it, but man, did I enjoy it. Yes, for Frances McDormand is just so good in this movie. She and Sam Rockwell are both phenomenal. I love Sam Rockwell a lot. I love Frances McDormand. Uh, Burn After Reading, Frances McDormand, awesome in that movie. That's like one of the most recent ones that I've seen with, uh, not recent, but that's that's one of my favorite movies with her in it that I've seen. Um, and Sam Rockwell. I recently watched Seven Psychopaths again, which is another Martin McDonough movie. And yeah, it kind of informs his view on American society. He kind of yes. imparts it, it. I don't... I can't defend him because I don't know where he's coming from, but I feel mm-hmm. like he's imp- You're imparting his view of, I, I mean, I get that, <laughs> but, but I feel like he's imparting his view on American society less so than he is actively trying to say these things. Yes. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's, it's my number three. Um, the more I talk about it, it might drop down to my four and, and call me by your name might bump up, but you know, we're splitting hairs at this point. They're both incredible movies. I, as soon as I saw the trailer for this movie, I knew I needed to see it. It's one of the best made trailers I've seen in a long time. Um, it is funny as hell, but also absolutely devastatingly sad at points. Um, I mean, it centers around a woman whose daughter was raped and murdered So she puts up these three billboards questioning why the local police have not caught the killer. Yeah. Also specifically targets the sheriff played brilliantly by Woody Harrelson. Yeah. A very complicated role. So it would have been so easy to make the sheriff the bad one, you know, and by choosing to make him as someone who did care and wants to find out and feels slighted for being targeted like this. Um, allows Francis McDormand to be angry at him and angry at the police rightfully so and to have him be rightful in his and to be able to care about both of those characters and not have them as adversaries throughout the whole film I thought that was a really good choice by Martin McDonough yeah. uh, this this goes with our theme of movies that don't follow the typical Hollywood path there's a lot of gray it's not it's a bittersweet ending. You don't get a happy ending. You not to spoil it or anything, but it's yes. It's just one of those perfect. Like you leave the theater feeling conflicted, but satisfied about the entirety of what you've just seen. Yes, um, Sam Rockwell's character, while it does have some problems because the racial stuff is never addressed, um, other than it exists. Uh, it's played incredibly well. He, you know, is the asshole cop that everyone hates. And Woody Harrelson's character sees some good in him buried deep down. And it takes a lot and it brings some of that out. Um, but yeah, I can definitely see why people are coming at this film for that reason. Um, and it is a very deserved criticism uh, for the movie. But. Outside of that, the only other nitpick I have is the goddamn CGI deer that has oh, yeah. that was no awful. need to be in the movie. It is so blatantly CGI in a CGI-less movie that it just totally took me out. 
and I, and just I just thought, are you like what the fuck? Why <laughs> why is this here? If that scene didn't exist, or if they just got a regular deer, <laughs> a regular deer, yeah. Also, uh, yeah, some of the side characters, some of the supporting like ancillary pieces are perfect too. Uh, Peter yes. Dinklage plays a, a local who uh, yeah goes on a goes on a date with our main character. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's he just he's perfect in it. Um, I forget her name, but she plays the young girlfriend of the ex-husband. Oh, Abby Cornish. I'm just looking this up. Uh, Caleb Landry Jones is awesome in this. He's also in the Florida Project. Yep. Um, and also, uh, what's his name? Uh, Lucas Hedges is just having a killer year, just being in every good movie. So, yeah, I this was my front runner, and then I saw some more movies um, kind of thing. <laughs> I, I yeah. totally see the... Praise it getting um, Best Picture nominations, Best Actress, Supporting Actor, the whole gamut. Um, and I think it's going to pick up a bunch of them. All right. So, yeah, that was your number three. So we can skip that. My number three was Get Out. So we can skip that. Your number two was The Florida Project. So we can skip that. Yes. And my number two, uh, getting to the what is your number one, uh, what I had as my number one for much of the year. Uh, after I saw it, it was Lady Bird, uh, directed by Greta Gerwig, starring Saoirse Ronan, uh, Laurie Metcalf as her mother. It takes place in Sacramento, California. Uh, kind of a coming-of-age story of this girl who wants to get out of Sacramento and go to college in New York. Uh, it's not it's not an original or unique story, but for some reason it just resonated with so many people the way that it treated its characters was somehow different than anything we've seen before yeah i i think the way it it played both sir sharonan's character and laurie metcalf's character is people who do care about each other but are just mother and daughter who fight and want better for the other um and they was, can't stop <laughs> they yeah they can't help themselves yes and it's just so incredibly well done it it has it's not a story about a boy, which a lot of these um, movies end up being like. Greg Gerwig does an incredible job of having um, both Lucas, what Lucas Bridges and Timothy Chalamet come into <laughs> Saoirse Ronan's life, um, and it's the way it treats her best friend, um, the way it treats that since she's a little more low income you know, trying to be with the rich, cool kids. It It is just such a well-done movie about a coming-of-age story. Um, I don't have a, any issue with it whatsoever. Uh, I thought it was incredible. Yeah, and so I think a lot of it is it takes place in around, like, 2002, which uh, for people our age was... A, we were in right about to be in middle school right around yeah. then. So like when we were going into high school, it wasn't that different of a time and people a little bit older than us kind of resonates with them a lot. Very much made for our generation, but yes, can be enjoyed by all because there are characters that resonate with everybody there. You can look at any character at any specific time and, and say that I've been in that situation from mm-hmm. one perspective or another. 
or you know somebody who has that relationship with their mother or father or some something along those lines. Yes. Um, it, it's everyone is complex in this movie. Uh, they're, but their um, motivations are real. You, you can tell why they're trying to do these things. Um, and it did something that I was un, didn't think was possible, which is it made me feel emotional about a Dave Matthews song. Um, <laughs> yep. Which has never happened to me before and actually <laughs> happened in this movie. Uh, so I am commended for that. Um, I don't know. It, it takes a story, like you said, that we've seen before, that has been done before, and just puts this care and this touch on it that makes it my favorite movie of the year. Yeah, it would be so easy to turn this into a romantic comedy or like a very serious drama but it somehow navigates being very funny with being heartfelt and yes. meaningful. Yes. It, it doesn't stray into the classic pitfalls of this kind of movie. Um, I, I mentioned this before, but it's not just about a boy boys come in and out of her life and they make an impact and they change her. Um, but it's not just about them. You know, it's not just about the family. Uh, it's not just about her relationship with her mother. It's her whole life. And I think it's so in- just beautifully written to um, engage all of the aspects of a young person's life and, and kind of sum it up. It's, yeah, it's incredible. It's once again, not a typical Hollywood movie. No. Um, One of the themes of our list. <laughs> yes. Um, and that leads you to your number one movie, which I have not seen, but want to, uh, to, but as a little spoiler, the only time I can see this is at like noon <laughs> on a day and I have a job. So that's a little tough. <laughs> um, and <laughs> it only plays at noon because your favorite movie of the year is Coco, the, uh, Pixar films treatment of the day of the dead story. Um, Man, how to describe this? Uh, I have cried seeing this movie more than I have at any other movie I've ever seen. It's incredibly heartfelt and earns your emotion so earnestly. And it pairs that with some of the most beautiful animation I've ever seen. The color palettes are vibrant. And man, I... So Coco is about this little boy, Miguel who grows up in Mexico, um, his family from all the way to his great, great grandmother has always made shoes and the family, his great, great grandmother was left by her husband to go pursue a career in music. And so the family hates music. It's just been passed down for generation to generation that their family hates music. And guess what? Miguel loves music and he, he idolizes the man who is known as the greatest musician of all time and comes to find that his great grandmother was possibly married to this guy and he is possibly his great great grandfather. So he goes on this journey on the Day of the Dead to go play uh, at a talent show in the middle of the town square. And on the way, he picks up his great great grandfather's guitar and strums it and finds himself unable to be seen by the living humans, but he is 
able to be seen by the dead ones that return for the day of the dead to see their families. And so it's about him trying to go into the land of the dead and get permission from his family to go back to the land of the living. But the catch is he finds his great great grandmother, but she will not let him go back if, unless he promises never to play music again. So he goes on this journey to find his great, great grandfather to get his blessing, to go back to the land of the living and be able to play music at the same time. And it's, I was not remotely interested in this movie based on that premise, but somehow Pixar did it again. Uh, it's, I, being a white guy and saying this is an important movie for Latino, Latina culture, uh, it doesn't really mean anything, but uh, I can only imagine how important it is to have this film be the Pixar entry into that culture. It's just handled incredibly well. The entire uh, the entire cast is Latino and Latina. Oh, man, it's just beautiful. I can't say enough about this movie. Just go see it. I don't want to spoil anything because... It's just like every reveal is handled so perfectly and it's just tugs at your heartstrings and the, like I spent the entire last half hour of the movie just crying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's something I, I absolutely want to see. Um, I've loved every Pixar movie that isn't cars related. Um, so I, <laughs> I don't doubt that this movie will be incredibly up my alley. Um, yeah, I, I could not be more excited and just missed out on seeing it in theaters, um, except at noon, but I have a job, so that's tougher. Um, yeah, so the, the moment I knew I was in on this movie when I was watching it was when Miguel has this guitar that he's like made out of scraps and wire and nails and he strums this guitar and the reverberations of the strings are so perfectly animated. It looks so real. And then he plays the actual notes and how they would sound. And that attention to detail is just, it made my heart sing a little bit. I was just <laughs> like, oh man, this, this is for me right now. Yeah, I, I am very excited to go, go watch it. Um, so let's do a little recap. Um, in order, uh, for me, 11 is The Post, 10 is Darkest Hour, 9, Big Sick, 8, The Last Jedi, 7, Get Out, 6, Dunkirk, 5, Phantom Thread. I'm going to call an audible and say 4, 3, Billboards. Oh. Mid-podcast change. Uh, 3, right. Call Me By Your Name, 2, The Florida Project, and number 1 is Lady Bird. All right. I have number 11, The Disaster Artist, number 10, The Last Jedi, 9, The Florida Project, Eight, The Big Sick. Seven, Ingrid Goes West. Six, Phantom Thread. Five, Dunkirk. Four, Three Billboards. Three, Get Out. Two, Lady Bird. And one, Coco. Yeah. It, it was a good year for movies. I'll, I'll say that. Definitely. I didn't was not as invested in any of the films of 2016 as I was in these ones. Absolutely. And thanks to MoviePass for allowing that to happen. I'm officially a show now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll be expecting it, a check in the mail from them. Exactly. All of my friends now have this. Um, it went from one person to two people to like 15 people in, in no time at all. 
All right. Well, we're uh, we're running short on time, so let's uh, get quickly into our Oscar picks. Sure. Let's go. What bottom up? Uh, yeah. Sure. Quick little uh, aside. We uh, stipulation. We I don't think either of us picked anything from a movie that we hadn't seen. No. Um, this is what we want, not what I not what I think is going to happen. Um, so we're going from we're we're getting rid of costume and and that kind of stuff and going for the ones that I feel like I can notice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, original song. Uh, your, your pick Zach. So I, I picked uh mystery of love by Sufjan Stevens, which is the most on brand thing surprise. I'm going to do, do this episode. <laughs> um, it's actually not even my favorite Sufjan song um, in the movie. Uh, I thought visions of Gideon had a bigger impact on the scene that it was in. But regardless, Sufjan is um, is an incredible singer-songwriter, and the tenderness of his songs lend perfectly to the tenderness that is that movie and that romance. All right, and for my pick, I'm going with Remember Me by Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez from the movie Coco, which is actually the only song on this list that from any movie that I've seen. Um, but also, I cried like a child while... <laughs> listening to this you, movie, you so. cried like a man chris you cried like a man I, oh yeah <laughs> every time i cry it's like a man yeah um for original score um uh, we both picked the phantom thread soundtrack by johnny greenwood um it's just phenomenal like there's I, nothing you yeah say i've it. actually started listening to this just on its own um it uh it pairs so well with the with the beautiful dressmaking and the colors and and the tension and it it's incredible. It kind of oscillates between kind of a jazzy, uh, upbeat jazzy soundtrack to like a little bit of a slower classical music style soundtrack. And it, it handles that really well with the tone of the film. Yes. Um, side note, I, while I enjoyed star Wars soundtrack, it's not John Williams best work. It, it, yeah, he got the John Williams nomination just like, uh, Denzel Washington. I love Denzel. He's one of the best actors living. I have zero desire to see that Roman Israel Esquire movie. That looks awful. Um, anyway, uh, for cinematography, we both picked, uh, you can try and butcher this name, um, but Dunkirk. Hoyt Van Hoytema? Yes. Uh, we both picked <laughs> that. Um, I thought the, the palette of that movie, the color palette was great. They did a bunch of wide sweeping shots of the beach um the whole intro in the town um made you feel kind of claustrophobic and then it's this big uh expanse um which i just absolutely loved yeah i echo all your thoughts on that it's just beautiful yeah uh, i but honestly i didn't see any of the other movies on this list so i couldn't pick them anyway Darkest Hour is good. It it has too many crane shots. They they overuse that one. <laughs> Just the slow pull oh, up. You mean like the most Hollywood thing you can do? Yes, yes, very much so. Um, for original screenplay, we both picked Lady Bird by Greta Gerwig. Um, as much as we you know gushed over that movie, it it was only um, it was only right that it got the best original screenplay. Yeah, a lot of other good. Uh, options on here the big sick get out three billboards uh but lady it was just so beautifully written yes uh perfectly done hard to pick anything else yeah uh for adaptive screenplay uh, i only saw one of these 
and it was Call Me By Your Name. Um, there is apparently I, a little... I forgot to make a pick on this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently, it, there's a little controversy in one of the big pivotal scenes. It changes ever so slightly. Um, the I, I don't want to give anything too, too much away, but it's with a peach. And um, other, I mean, other than that, it's just so beautifully done. Uh, I think if I were to pick from the movies that I have seen, I would probably pick Logan. The other option for me would be The Disaster Artist. Um, I don't think as an adaptation, The Disaster Artist was very good. I think it was it was a good film, not necessarily as an adaptation. I haven't read the Logan comic, but I don't know. It was a good movie, so we're going with that. Yeah. So for animated feature, I've only seen one of these, and it's The Boss Baby. So I'll just let you go and say Coco. <laughs> yeah, I I hadn't seen any of the other ones on here, but I don't care because none of them could have beaten Coco. It's my new favorite animated film of all time. So, yep, easy enough. Um, for director, we both picked the same person. Um, so we actually kind of spread our main awards around on different movies. Usually in the Oscars, um, it you know, one movie kind of cleans them all up. And for us, we kind of yeah. just kind of bounced around. Well, I thought that Lady Bird was a fantastic movie and it was the best screenplay. I still think that Paul Thomas Anderson directed the hell out of Phantom Thread. And that's why I picked that one. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same thing. Uh, the The thing that I noticed the least about Lady Bird was probably the direction. Yeah. Phantom Thread, you noticed exactly every intention that Paul Thomas Anderson had. And that's the yeah. main thing I noticed from that film. You know, just the small detail, like when he looks up on the peephole and you can see the light on his eye, you can see every little like sleep strain, you know, sleepless strain and all that. It's it's perfect. The, the two things that jump out to me were the scene where after Alma leaves to go to the dance and he's just kind of like shifting his head yeah. uh, into the doorway a couple of times. I thought that was really good. And then some of the establishing shots of uh, whenever they changed location, there was always a, a really good establishing shot, not necessarily including any of the characters, just like, this is where we are. Yes, there's there's some very good uses of staircases in this yes. movie uh, for, you know, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> for supporting actress, we have different ones. I picked Laurie Metcalf from Lady Bird. Uh, I thought she did a perfect, and I have no problem with that pick. Perfect mother character um, that is conflicted and cares and tries, but is a nag, and it's she does it so incredibly well. Yeah, I think she will win. Um, well, I haven't seen just The Shape of Water or Itanya or Mudbound, so I can't really speak yeah. on that. But uh, I picked Leslie Manville from Phantom Thread. She plays Cyril perfectly i there was the i think the best acting in the film yeah um, and for that i will reward her with my best supporting actor which means so much <laughs> i'm expecting a letter in the mail yeah shout out to vicky creep she had to go one-on-one -on -one with daniel day lewis for most of the film and she was just as good as him so oh yeah she held her own beautifully yeah I, yeah for supporting actor, um, I picked Willem Dafoe from the Florida Project. Uh, I gushed about this performance. He is a complicated person who cares, um, and that it, it's hard for Willem Dafoe not to be creepy. 
just based on his Willem <laughs> he looks really creepy. Willem Dafoe-y, I guess, would be the best yeah. way to put it. Um, and for him to be a, a caring character um, was great. I, I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I... I, I told I talked about my issues with Willem Dafoe's acting in that movie. I think for the most part he was really good. I just couldn't get over the accent or his Willem Dafoe-ness. Uh I but it does say a lot that I found that to be the most interesting character. Uh I'm gonna go with Sam Rockwell from Three Billboards. Uh despite what you think about the character, he acted it tremendously, and I think that's all that counts yeah. for now. Um Best Lead Actress, uh very predictably, here you go. Yeah, um, so I, I picked Frances McDormand um, from Three Billboards. She portrays that that intense anger just so well. Um, and she just emoted that whole movie um, and was pretty funny at points as well. Um, I, I thought she was absolutely incredible. Yeah, so I'm going to go off board and I'm taking uh, Laura Dern. I don't care what you say. She was the lead character in <laughs> Jedi. But since that's not an option, I'm taking Saoirse Ronan. I'm so in the bag for her as an actress. I fall in love with her in every role she plays. It's she's And to get rid of that like really heavy Irish accent for this movie was impressive as hell. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, for lead actor... Uh, as, as good as Gary Oldman was, um, and has little as I care about Denzel Washington and Roman J. Israel Esquire, uh, I'm picking Timothy Chalamet and Call Me By Your Name. The, the delicateness he had to play with that character, um, he, he did, I, I saw no fault in his performance. He, you know, in the love scenes, he, he acts young, you know, he's playful, he's immature, and it's... It's a perfect performance. Yeah, I went with... I had Daniel Day-Lewis earmarked. I think he's probably going to win just based on how the Academy works. But I switched it to Daniel Kaluuya from Get Out. I already talked about how incredible he is as an actor and uh, another guy who went off accent for uh, this film. Yeah. Um, yeah, just the way he plays the sunken place and just you talked about his the, this bullshit face. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just just perfect yes uh, let's move on move on to best picture uh no surprise to anybody we both picked lady bird um just yeah, an incredible film we, we, we talked we've it gushed about it enough um so i i would be fine with any of these winning except for the post that one was fine i i haven't seen the shape of water so i wouldn't yeah that's so to think if that weirdly won, enough so. that's the only one i haven't seen um i enjoy Guillermo del Toro movies. I think they're all right. I am not as big of a fan as a lot of people are. Um, also, not that into fish sex, but... We'll, yeah, uh, I, I heard that's what it was kind of... Yeah, kind of weirded me out. I had no real interest in seeing it. I'm going to see it. Um, I've heard good things. You know, my friends who went in lukewarm... Uh, you basically don't have to pay for it to see it, so... Yes. You might yeah, as well. I'll, yeah, I mean, any of these movies... Um, if they win, I'll be fine, except for the post. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I think, uh, that about does it. Let's wrap up before, uh, my roommate with the dogs returns and causes all sorts of the havoc. Yeah. New York city has kept itself relatively quiet. So I, I commend New York for that. No, yeah, only no a couple of sirens. <laughs> I heard a couple of sirens. That was about it. Yeah. Um, um, the hazards of living in New York. 
Yeah, so that is the inaugural episode of Burritos and Other Less Important Things. Um, uh, this one focused only on movies because that is what we've been doing recently. Yeah, uh, we had other things down to talk about, but we, we went long on this one. So, <laughs> so Sorry, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, we'll, we'll be back to talk about probably uh, Star Wars and Pixar movies and football and food. You can follow us on the Twitters at Bowlit, B-A-O-L-I-T. Which is a terrible uh, handle, but uh, Burritos <laughs> and other less important things didn't fit. It's, it's a little long, uh, uh, but we're, we're on there. Uh, yes. Send us suggestions for things to talk about. Uh, we'll probably figure out a way to be on Facebook soon. Yeah, as a, uh, as a tease of next week, one of our uh, Google Doc items was, what the fuck is Justin Timberlake doing? <laughs> yeah <So. laughs> we'll, we'll be talking about that uh we'll also be talking about other forms of media that we consumed in 2017 uh tv shows that we enjoyed things we're looking forward to in 2018 music of course zach is our resident music nerd so we'll we'll get into that stuff it's pretty easy to be a resident something when there's two people yeah we'll we'll just both outro at the same time and probably cut this all out Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and on so, that yeah, note, that's, uh, that's it. Long, thanks for long listening. enough. Awkward. Uh... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs>